Good morning, everybody. My name's Amanda Clark. It's a real honor to be with my extended vineyard family this morning. If you didn't know, uh, my church, the Vine in Goshen, is a vineyard church plant that started just about the exact same time that Branches did. And we were also both planted out of vineyard Syracuse. And so up at branches, up at Vine, we call you Branches, our sister church. And we like having you for a sister. And so I'm, I'm really excited that Tom and Joe asked me to share this message with you this morning. It's the same message I preached a year ago at Vineyard Syracuse on Mother's Day. And um, I'm excited to have another opportunity to share it because it's something I've grown very passionate about. And I think the Lord's revealed to me that it's part of my calling to share this message with both men and women. And so um, I'm, I'm praying today that women, especially you, will leave encouraged and with a greater sense of your calling. But before I launch into it, I feel like I should just give you a little bit of backstory so you get a context for my journey. So when Justin and I began helping with the vine back in 2014, I was coming from a very good, healthy place. We were coming from Vineyard Syracuse, the place where we served for 10 years under leaders that um, valued my contributions as a woman and encouraged me to explore and grow in ministry. I have parents who instilled a deep sense of self-worth in me and a dad that won't let you get up and leave the room without telling you he loves you. So I was coming from a really strong foundation. But when the vine began to pick up steam and um, meet for Sunday morning services, we suddenly realized, like, we weren't swimming in the kiddie pool anymore, you know? Um, Many of you who have been here since the beginning probably know exactly what I'm talking about. There were 10 different hats that needed wearing at any given time and not enough leaders, so you better figure out how to wear that hat. And so one of those hats was preaching. So Justin, my husband, and I, we began preaching at the Vine. And um, that was something I had dreamed of, but never saw it as a real possibility. Additionally, I learned how to lead ministry time, how to teach children's ministry, how to uh, run meetings, and how to develop leaders in our small, new church family. And I'll be honest, for the first, like, whole year... Every Sunday, we were just totally amazed, like, when people showed up, you know? We were like, can't they tell? We have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) And I bet some of you also remember feeling that way. And then simultaneously, I went to a conference where I heard a Bible scholar named Carolyn Custis James speak, and I was given her book called Half the Church. And at this point, I need to give you the full disclosure that her insight on Scripture in this book which I believe share God's heart for men and women poignantly, biblically, and unlike any way I've ever heard, make up um, nearly all of the message today, like actually. So you can literally assume that any one statement I make is a direct quote from her book or YouTube videos because it likely is. I asked her permission personally to quote her throughout the sermon, and she granted it, so please know that I did. This book has definitively shaped my life, and I would love for you to read it or listen to the audiobook. What I realized through um, reading half the church and our church planting experience is that my whole life I've been wrestling with what it means to be a female in God's kingdom. My parents raised me to be a kingdom worker, to serve Jesus faithfully my whole life, and that's what I've always wanted. But despite my parents' good work to raise a confident woman, deep in my heart I was wrestling And I believe I was wrestling because my parents weren't the only ones telling me who I am. 
all throughout my formative and then teenage years. I was learning from voices in our Christian culture that as a female, I wasn't qualified for leadership in God's kingdom, and that my main role in life was to marry and then make my life about helping my husband realize and bring to fruition his calling. I learned that in Genesis, it says that I'm a helper or a help meet, and I wasn't even really sure what that meant, but I thought it meant not leader. So if if you had asked me even five years ago, I would have told you that I didn't believe women were gifted or designed for significant leadership roles and that men always do a better job at that. Women are helpers. We don't lead. And ladies, if you've ever wrestled with those same thoughts, you might agree with me that it goes way deeper than just who gets to lead. Because Satan uh, latches on to my insecurities and my confusion and fears, and he adds on his own suggestions, which lead to thoughts like, if, if I'm a helper, does God see me as second fiddle? Would God always prefer a man to me? Does God want what I have to offer? Does God want me? And and these are the thoughts that cut deep and leave scars. Because deep in a woman's heart, we have to know that we're valuable to our God. And so looking back, I see that I definitely entered adulthood with some baggage about womanhood. But as I aged and matured and corrected my thinking about my femininity, I secretly felt like I might be a leader. And so I wrestled. I wrestled with thoughts like, I feel like I have leadership gifts, but I'm not really sure if I'm allowed to use them very much. Or if there's a man to do the job, shouldn't I be stepping back to let him do it? Isn't that what God wants? But then there I was at 30 years old, helping a small team of people start and lead a church simply because somebody's got to do the job. And then because of the workload and in spite of my fears and questions, I discovered that myself and the other women weren't doing a bad job. We were leading well. We were an asset to the team. And I discovered that I was capable of preaching decently and capable of leading ministry time and capable of making important decisions and lots of other things that I didn't think I could do as a woman. And I felt God's pleasure over my growing confidence as a leader. See, up until then, I had been holding back from kingdom work because I believed it when certain influences from my child and teen teen years told me who I was. And as a result, this past couple of years, I've grown so much in godly confidence. I'm not vying for position or power. I just believe that God has a call on my life to be a leader, and it was never his voice telling me that I'm inferior as a woman or that he didn't want what I had to offer. And I'm humbled and grateful to tell you that these past couple of years, I've just been soaring in my personal and spiritual growth as I let the voice of the Father tell me who I am. So this morning, women, I want you to ask yourself, your own heart, this question, who tells me who I am? Because I know I'm not the only woman here who has believed that as a woman, she's not enough or not capable, or not allowed because of what someone told her about who she was. So, for example, often in in the American church, women are told that marriage and motherhood are their highest calling, and they certainly are high callings. 
and we should take them very seriously, and I do take them seriously as a married woman. Yet, a statistical fact is that in America, 60%, more than half of the women over 15 years old in our churches are not married. More than half of us are often getting a message about our calling, which is inapplicable to our lives. And it is a deeply painful thing when who you are told to be doesn't match up with the reality of your life. Those who are divorced often face questions like, have I missed my chance at my calling? Or women who are widowed or whose children have grown and left the home face questions like, well, is that it? Is God finished with me now? And young unmarried women face questions like, does my calling in life not start until I find a husband? And so then, to add to the confusion, we're living in an age of extremes. On one hand, women in the West are enjoying unprecedented opportunities for equality, education, successful careers, leadership on the highest level. And then on the other hand, while we're over here enjoying all this privilege and power, women in other countries are being, who ask the question, who tells me who I am, are being told that they are worthless through horrible practices like child sex trafficking, female infanticide, honor killings, gang rape as a means of warfare, and female genital mutilation. And since we live in the information age, there's just no way for us to pretend that it's not happening. So the question that we're asking together this morning is, who tells me who I am? And the truth is that only God is worthy of telling you who you are. Only he has the right to define your value. Only God is big enough to tell women who are facing unspeakable atrocities who they are in a way that brings eternal hope. What God says about who we are has the power to cut through every negative, confusing, and overwhelming statement made about women. So let's look now to scripture together for the way that God tells us who we are. I'm going to use the Bible in this message. So um, to do that, let's look at Genesis. In Genesis, we're going to be looking at the creation narrative. And there are three things that God says about us that are the most important things that you as a woman can ever know about yourself. So we'll start in Genesis 1, 26. And I invite you to pull that up on your phone or follow along on the screen. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Then I want to skip down to verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Ladies, you were made in the image of God. You are his image bearer. It's very likely that you've heard that verse before, or at least that concept that you were made in the image of God. But today I'm inviting you to hear those words in a fresh way. Because the creation narrative is one that we often pass right over because it's so familiar without realizing that it holds life-transforming truths for both men and women. At creation, God isn't making stuff just appear like, bam, check it out, a tree, okay, Watch me do a tiger now, you know? No, he's, he's vision casting his strategic plan for our world. He's defining who we are as male and female. 
He's setting the course, drawing up the blueprints, and making the plan for the world. So women, if we are asking the question, who tells me who I am, and we're answering that with what God says about us, and if the very thing, the very first thing he says in the Bible about us is the foundation of who we are, then everything else that the Bible has to say about us must be understood in the light of the vision that God is casting right here at the beginning in the creation narrative. So if God made us his image bearers at creation, and if in doing so, he was vision casting his strategic plan for the world, then we need to understand what it means to be his image bearer. And I think all of us, men and women, hear the name image bearer, and we kind of do, do you have that, that's, yes, yeah, we kind of do that number. Do you remember that from Toy Story? Ooh, you know, I, I think it's like those aliens. We, we know instinctively that something is happening, and it's very important, and we like the sound of it, but we also find it mysterious. So women, what does it mean that we're made in his image? And for me, one of my indicators that I believe myself to be inferior as a woman was a time when I was talking to one of my pastors about this very same concept, being made in God's image. And he said something that I, just for a moment, misunderstood. And I thought that he was suggesting that I, as a woman, as a female, was not made in God's image. And even though in my mind, like, I knew that's not what he was saying, and it definitely wasn't, just hearing that, I started tearing up, and my voice was cracking like a preteen boy. <laughs> and I was, like, really surprised at all the emotions coming out of myself, like, why am I crying right now? This is awkward. And I realized I had, I had stumbled on a hidden fear that maybe only men, not women, are made in God's image and the thought of that instantly left me devastated and crying. And in, in normal day-to-day life, I'm actually not that much of a crier. And so I was processing it later, like, what was going on back there? And I realized that somewhere in the core of my being, I know that if I'm not made in God's image, I am less than nothing. Can you identify with that, women? We just have to know that we're made in his image. And so the hard thing is that Genesis, the text in Genesis does not tell us exactly in the plainest of terms what it means to be made in his image. And so the first thing I invite you to discover is that by calling us his image bearers, he made you to be like him, to reflect him, to be a mirror for him. Your calling is to reflect God, to image him. Your calling as his image bearer in and of itself completes you. It defines your identity. It gives your whole life meaning and purpose. The strategic center of God's plan for the world is his relationship with his image bearers, his relationship with you. And so you are called to a foundational and utterly vital bond between you and your God. Everything about who you are depends on this solid link with him. We won't know why we're here, who we are, or what our purpose in life is without relationship with him. So in calling us his image bearers, God has made relationship with himself the purpose for your life. He has already made you to be like him 
but we are the clearest and fullest reflection of him when we know him. And so in this, women, I want to encourage you to make God your study. This sounds fairly obvious, (laughs) saying that as a Christian woman. And uh, we have to remind ourselves of that over and over again, because Calling comes with responsibility. And in the thick of it, when life gets hard and God feels far away, a cotton candy Facebook meme theology isn't going to get you through. We have to know our God. Your primary calling is to know him, women. And that comes before your calling as a wife, as a mother, as your calling in your career, your calling in your ministry. We must make God our study. We must love what he loves. Be passionate about what he's passionate about. See our world through his eyes and take up his causes. Because we were created to do his work on earth. To look after things on his behalf. Because he put us here as his representatives. And this is the highest calling any human being can ever have. You are called to know God and to be his reflection. This is your identity, women, and no one, no life circumstances can ever take it from you. And so, if you want to know how to study God, study Jesus. Jesus was God's perfect image bearer, and he embodies for us exactly what God had in mind when he created us to be his image bearers. We are to study Jesus, the perfect image of God, and then imitate him. And so I want to encourage you to take advantage of the Bible studies or small groups that are offered here at Branches or seek to lead one yourself. And look, I'm talking to a bunch of moms today and women. I already know how hard you're working. As I'm in wanting you to know God, it's not meant to be just one more exhausting thing to add to your schedule. It doesn't have to be difficult. You just need to be intentional. Technology makes it easier than ever for you to learn about Jesus. So while you're in the car or cleaning or making dinner or at the kids' practice, listen to the Bible on your phone or um, listen to sermons from respected teachers or audiobooks from Christian authors who make theology accessible. Joe's turned into an audiobook fiend. She can help you out with that if you're interested. And guys, look, I'm not counting you out. You can do all that stuff too. You can listen to the audiobooks. You can do the cooking. You can do the cleaning. <laughs> and so... <laughs> The first thing about God that God says about who you are is that you're made to image God, to be his reflection, and to do that, you must know your God. So now, let's just move one chapter over to the right, because the second thing that God says to tell us about who we are is found in Genesis chapter 2, where the narrative zooms in not just from the creation of humans in his image, but to the creation of male and female. And often this passage is used to discuss the creation of marriage, and the implications for marriage are discussed at the end of this chapter. But this account is a creation of male and female, so it applies to all of us, whether we're single or married or divorced or widowed. And so God creates the man, Adam, and then he looks at this man he's made, and in verse 18 he says, It is not good for the man to be alone. And I will make a helper who is just right for him. 
And, and this was a passage that helped form my low view of myself as a woman. So I'm excited to share with you the true meaning of it because it's changed my life and my heart. So just hang with me as we navigate this. So the word helper in Hebrew is azer. And this word azer is used 16 times in the Old Testament to describe God as Israel's helper. He is their strong, most capable helper. He is the one they turn to over and over again to rescue them from their enemies. So the first thing, women, that I want you to recognize about yourself is that if Azer is used most often in the Bible to describe God, then in a profound sense, God named his firstborn daughter and all of us after himself. Adam named her Eve, but God named her Azer. God is Israel's Azer. Women, for all of us as female image bearers, Azer defines a way in which women are uniquely called to reflect God. Like father, like daughter. Our father is an Azer, and we are Azers too. This is getting pretty good, huh? Let's keep going. Again, verse 18 says, It's not good for the man to be alone, and I will make a helper who is just right for him. So helper is azer, and just right for him is a modern translation of suitable, or in the Old English, help meet. And these words can be taken a lot of different ways. And so they are the reason that we get teachings that women are designed only to be a man's assistant or only to be a wife or a mother, which, as we've already discussed, leaves 60% of the women in our churches out in the cold. So the word connecto uh, actually indicates that the azer is the man's perfect match. It literally means as in front of him, like face to face. This is how Victor Hamilton, a longtime professor at Asbury Seminary, puts it. Kenegdo suggests that what God creates for Adam will correspond to him. Thus, the new creation will be neither a superior nor an inferior, but an equal. The creation of this helper will form one half of a polarity and will be to man as the South Pole is to the North Pole. So if the Azer is the man's perfect match... I hope it's already clear to you that before God created the Azer, there was nothing wrong with the man. God has been spending his time creating sea and sky and plants and animals of every kind, shape, and color. And he's creating male and female at the apex of his creative design. The man and woman are both masterpieces. And so It's the pinnacle of his creativity. So when he says it's not good for the man to be alone, it's not as though he's looking at the man saying like, wow, that's not how I had it going in my head. He's going to need a lot of help. You know, but but the Bible isn't joking here, you know. But this is where we actually do start to make jokes. You know, we say things like, obviously he couldn't function on his own without a woman. Or who's going to make his dinner, you know? 
But the Bible's not joking. Over and over again, it affirms that men and women, you know, are just in the highest position in his eyes. He holds them in the highest regard. So it's not saying that the man is inept or any other joke we make. It's actually saying something really significant about who we are, about how our relationships are supposed to go. So let's pay attention when God says it is not good for the man to be alone. And what he needs is an azer. So, if the man needs this azer, let's dig into that word just a little bit more. When we want to look at the meaning of a word in the Bible, we look at all the places that that same Hebrew root word is used in the Bible, and then we use what we find to help us determine the meaning of the word. So, azer, scholars discovered, is used 21 different times in the Old Testament. It's used twice in the creation narrative to describe the woman. It's used three times for nations that Israel is asking military help from when they're under attack. And as I said before, it's used 16 times for God as the helper of his people. So as a scholar, the author of Half the Church, Carolyn, she studied these 21 usages of the word azer, and she discovered that the word azer was always used in a military context. So in passages where Azer is used to describe God, it's always surrounded with military language. God is his people's shield and defense. God is better than chariots and horses. God stands sentry watch over his people. And as I said, it's used when Israel was under attack and they're asking another country's army to come rescue them. So if Azer is every single time used in a military context, we can say definitively that it's a military word. It's a war word. And the unbelievable thing is that it reveals that Eden, what we normally think of as paradise, is actually a war zone. There's an enemy getting ready to make an attack. And we know the end of that story. And so we know that that's true, don't we? God told the man and woman to rule and subdue in their state of perfection, which means that they will face resistance even in paradise. God tells the man to watch over the garden, and it's the exact same verbiage used to describe the angel who guarded Eden after they sinned, you know, with the primeval lightsaber. And it means that Adam was guarding the garden from attack as well. And so, girls, this is the most important part of this message. If we understand that Azer is a military word, and we understand that Eden was a war zone, we can conclude that the Azer is a warrior. And, and don't you kind of know that already? It's not that surprising, is it? Can't you feel it in your bones? We're already fighting wars every day. We're fighting battles for the kingdom of God, for our families, for our friends, for our calling, for our future. We know we're warriors. And the battle that God was calling the man to fight and the kingdom that he's calling him to advance in this world requires the help of a strong warrior right at his side, not because the man is weak, but because the battle is so great. So God deploys the Azer to break the man's aloneness by soldiering with him wholeheartedly and at full strength for God's kingdom. The man needs everything she brings to their joint global mission. 
So ladies, who tells us who we are? God does. And he says that you are his image bearer. You are his azer warrior. You are not unwanted by God. You are not less capable. You are not inferior. You are an azer warrior, and it's not good for men to be without us in any sphere. Don't you think that's pretty incredible? I do. I bet you never knew God said so much about you in the first two chapters of the Bible. But wait, there's more. The third thing that God says to tell us about who we are comes in chapter 1 of Genesis. When God says in verse 28, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it or subdue it. So here we see that God is spreading this global mission before them. We're there to be fruitful and increase in number, to fill the earth and to subdue it or govern over it. The man and women are together, his A-team, to advance his kingdom. God is entrusting his mission on earth to male and female. Every dimension of life on earth is where they are together, not separately, to advance his purposes. And often in Christian circles, we don't really think of it like this. We often have men working with men and women working with women, but that's not really how God set things up to be. God means for male and female to partner together for his kingdom. Somehow, in some way, as this blessed alliance of male and female coming together, God's image shines more brightly in the world than in any other way. And these are physical and theological callings that he's called us to in the world. Not just to reproduce physically, but to reproduce spiritually, to reproduce image bearers of God and to live fruitful, productive lives and bring in the kingdom of God on earth. That's getting a little heavy though. So let's take a break and talk about this idea in a different way. So um, women, I know very well that some of you have redesigned pretty much from the ground up your whole house in Pinterest boards. I know Joe Deeks has. <laughs> I also know that Laura Bonke's house already looks like a Pinterest board, so you are winning. Uh, <laughs> but I also know that some of you women could not possibly care less about home remodel and watching Fixer Upper is like getting a root canal. But I want to ask you to just think about it for a moment about load-bearing walls. Because um, you just, you, anytime you go to do a remodel or add on to your house, you have to consider where are the load-bearing walls. Because if you don't, that really great idea that they said you could totally DIY just took down your house, you know. You just can't do without the load-bearing walls. And so we can, in Genesis, we can look at it in the same way. God designed a kingdom that is built on two load-bearing walls. And the first load-bearing wall is this relationship between the creator and his image bearer. As we talked about earlier, this relationship is our lifeline. We cannot be who God's created us to be in this world or live as he means for us to live if we don't know the God who made us. But the second load-bearing wall is this blessed alliance between men and women whom God created to work together. And it's from this strong center where we're centered first on God and then joined together in relationship that we move out in strength to do the work that God has called us to in the world. But if this is true, if what I'm saying is true, then what the enemy did in the garden was beyond brilliant. Brilliant. 
Because in a single blow, the enemy brought down these two load-bearing walls. The twin towers of God's kingdom strategy just collapsed on that day in Eden. God's image bearers were cut off from their creator. And the blessed alliance was broken up as men and women were divided from one another. And instead of this strong alliance, we have instead the battle of the sexes. Where we compete for control of one another and live with a deep-seated fear that if one sex rises, the, mu- the other must by nature nature lose it. And so again, Satan makes this brilliant attack. The fall happens and we have complete and utter destruction of God's original plan for the world, for it to be held up by the two load-bearing walls of our relationship with God and the relationship between men and women. The really hard thing is we don't even get to see one chapter in Genesis of what it's like for Adam and Eve to operate in this blessed alliance because they blow the whole thing up by chapter 3. It's, it's as if there's a missing chapter in the Bible where we could have seen how it got to work without sin. I wish we had that. But God has never abandoned his vision for the world, and he has never abandoned his vision for us. And so to restore God's original vision, he sent Jesus to us. Jesus is our missing chapter in Genesis. Jesus came to rebuild both load-bearing walls. For Jesus is the one who reconnects us to our God. And he is the one who joins men and women back together in a, into this blessed alliance. He joins us together in a richly diverse male-female unity into one body of Christ where both halves of the body need to function at 100% capacity. The body of Christ is strong because we are one. And um, when together we're bringing all of the gifts and all of the resources and all of the privileges that he has entrusted to us to this one goal of bringing his kingdom to earth. And when we operate in this blessed alliance, there's mutual flourishing of men and women. No one has to suffer. Our lives are enriched by each other, which means that kingdom work is happening more effectively and with fewer barriers. We, men and women, together are called to bring his kingdom to earth. And guys, the thing that just shook me to my core and literally changed my life when I learned about the Blessed Alliance was that I realized in myself that when I believe the lie that God is more interested in what men can do for him than what I can do for him, I let the men do it. I abdicate. I lead less. I dream less. I vision less. And as a result, I image less. And so the blessed alliance tells us that we need each other and that if the body of Christ is limping along because half the church is holding back, then his kingdom is not advancing at the forceful rate he calls it to. So women, as we wrap up here, I hope very much that you can see that this changes everything for us. (coughs) We are God's image bearers. We are his Azer warriors. It's who God says you are. And who he says you are assures us that we matter, 
that we have purpose, that our identity is secure, that our lives do count. But even beyond these assurances, our image bearer calling, our Azer warrior calling comes with responsibilities, heavy responsibilities for how we represent God in this world. These callings tell us that we are his eyes, his ears, his voice, his hands. We are the ones speaking and acting on earth for him. That is who you are. And as such, his reputation is on the line with us for how we live in this world, for how we relate to one another, with how we care about what's happening in our world, with what's happening to millions of women suffering around the world, and how we're living in such a way as to make a difference. People are supposed to get to know what God is like by rubbing shoulders with us. We have the responsibility to communicate and to reveal our God to the world. We have a lifelong mission to get to know our amazing, infinite God and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, his perfect image bearer. Women, we are God's image bearers. We are Azer warriors, brothers and sisters. We are the blessed alliance, and we are the ones that God calls into action for his kingdom. So today, women, mother, sister, daughter, who tells us who we are? Our father. And he says that you are his image bearer. You are his Azer warrior. You were named after your father. That is who you are. Let your heart receive your calling, image bearer, azer warrior, and may explosions go off in your heart and mind to cause you to grasp the greatness of it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. As women, we say thank you, Father, for naming us after yourself. Thank you for calling us your own, for creating us in your image for making us your Azer warriors. Thank you, Father, that together us men and women are created to be your blessed alliance to advance your kingdom. Today, Father, would you cause all of us men and women to step more deeply into our calling. In the name of Jesus, we just ask you to break off every lie that every woman here has ever believed about herself. Break it off now in the name of Jesus. And cause all of us to come into such a greater understanding of our calling. Cause us to receive this calling that you've placed on us as your image bearers and as your Azer warriors. We praise you, Jesus. All glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.